Welcome to the Power of the Human Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Foster. My guest today is a husband and father of three children. He's originally from New Jersey and moved to California in 1978. And he's been in the top 1% of his profession since 2009. But 9, 20, 2018, he lost his daughter, Gabriella, suddenly from complications from the flu. And he has since risen up from the ashes and taken his pain and turned it into power. He wants to be a lighthouse for those in the darkness, and he wants to show others that humans are resilient and you can rise up. Welcome, Michael Chabot. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, Michael. It's going to mean a lot to uh, so many people. Uh, Michael, I would say that you and I have three things in common. And one is that we both live on the West Coast, different countries, mm -hmm. but we're both on the West Coast. We were in the same podcasting course together, and that's how we've met. Uh, but most of all, we've both lost children. Mm. And we found our way from the darkness back into the light. And our conversation today is going to be about sharing our, our stories and uh, particularly your insights that might help others getting through this very dark place. So that's terrific. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, Michael, can you tell me about your story? Yeah. Um, before I start, just so you know, I, my dad is Canadian, so we have that uh, that we share as well. <laughs> hey, great, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my story is, you know, I think I was living the, at least what we call here, the American dream, right? Sure. Beautiful house, beautiful wife, three beautiful children, very successful career. Um, you know, what, what on the outside looked like I had it all. But as I shared with you before we came on the air is that, you know, I, I was not, I was not a happy man. I was very um, unfulfilled. I felt stuck. I felt trapped in my career and just kept asking myself, you know, there's got to be more. And, um, you know, like every year, I think, uh, you know, going into 2018, um, my daughter, Gabriella, who is my middle child, she got sick with the flu. And that year, the flu was very, very bad. And so my wife, as she always did, took all three kids to our doctor. Um, she tested positive. The other two didn't. She went on Tamiflu and was feeling better. Um, she was, uh, she got better, you know, all the, her fever broke, all these things. And then on a Tuesday, she said to my wife and I in the evening, she said, you know, when I walk upstairs, we have a two-story house. When I walk upstairs, I feel like I can't catch my breath. And we're like, hmm, that's, that's not normal. So my wife said, all right, well, tomorrow morning, I'll take you to the doctor. So she called the doctor, our pediatrician that we had for 17 years, and um, took her to the doctor. And of course, he, you know, checked her out, listened to her heart, listened to her lungs, did kind of what I call like the, the just standard checklist of things. And he was like, everything sounds good. Everything looks good. Like if she's not feeling better in a few days, then we'll do a chest x-ray and see what's going on. And we are like, okay, all right. And so the next day, Thursday, um, she woke up and her stomach was a little upset, but again, she had no flu symptoms. She didn't have a fever anymore. She didn't have any of these things. So I was like, well, Gab, you should probably go to school because you were out all last week. And so I drove her to school and because she was a little late, I had to take her into the office and uh, sign her in. And I told her I loved her and kissed her goodbye. And 
unfortunately for me, that was the last time I got to see her alive. So she, yeah, she, um, she texted me around 1130 and she was like, I don't feel good. I want to come home. And I said, okay, why don't you text your mother and she'll come pick you up. My wife is blessed with being a stay at home mom. And so my wife picked her up from school, like around 12 o'clock and came home and she said, you know, my kids called my wife, mama. And so she's like, mama, I'm just going to go lay down. I'm going to put my pajamas on and take a nap. I just feel tired. She's like, okay. And so she laid down to take a nap and my wife, you know, was doing her stuff around the house and went to check on her and she wasn't breathing. And uh, I, 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 till the day I die, I'll remember this. My son called me and at the time he was 12. I can still hear his voice. Papa, Papa. I said, what's the matter? Papa. I said, put your mother on the phone. And I can hear my wife's tone as clear as day. She said, Gabriella's not breathing. And um, the paramedics are on their way. And I remember in that moment, like I was in my office and my assistant was sitting at my desk because we were working on something. And I remember like everything just stopped. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, like he was talking to me, but I couldn't hear him. And um, so I raced out of there. And... You know, I was on the phone with my wife as the paramedics were here. And she's like, we're going to the hospital, meet us there. And so my wife and my son went in a police car and, and you know, they rushed my daughter to the hospital. And I remember when I got there and I saw one of the paramedics and I said, is she alive? And I could see the look in his eyes. You know, I could see the look in his eyes. I knew it was bad. And so we put us in this little chaplain at the hospital and, um, you know, we had a, the chaplain was a very wonderful man. And he was, you know, kind of going, keeping us updated and what was going on. And then finally the doctor came in and told us that our daughter had passed away. Oh my goodness. That's so shocking. Yeah. It's yeah. the last thing you would expect. You had no time to prepare. No, no. And, um, you know, it's funny. I did a podcast episode on my journey to hope about, I never thought about it until I had time to separate from the grief of what that doctor must have felt when he had to come in the room and tell two parents that their daughter had just died. I can't imagine, you know, can't imagine. No, I, I can't imagine that either. And so was it like, um, like a shock, kind of like a shock that comes over you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember screaming out, no, God, no. No, God, no. And, you know, my, my poor wife, she had to pull my daughter out of bed, put her on the floor, do CPR. My son was 12. You know, my oldest daughter was off at a retreat because my kids went to a Catholic school and she was off at a retreat. So she wasn't home at the time. But yeah, and it was you know, the crazy thing about it is, right, so you go to the hospital, you're there for hours, and then, you know, you go in the back, and we talked about this, and you go in the back, and you, you spend time with your child after they've passed away, which, by the way, no parent should have to do that. No, no parent. And, you know, as I told you off air is that I promised my daughter that I would honor her with the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I remember leaving the hospital that night, just, just saying to myself, what now? Like, 
how how do we live? How do we ever go back to any type of normalcy after this? Right? Yes. You and don't. I was yeah, you don't. You don't. And I was lucky. I had a lot of friends rally around me. You know, I, I'm very heavily involved in the ice hockey community here in my town. And so I coach and I play. And so I've I've made some amazing friendships through both. And we had so many of our friends rally around us and help. You know, because as you know, then you have to do a funeral and a service and all these things that you don't even want to think about, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody, like, I, I, I was scared for the first few weeks because I thought I was going to lose my wife. She was, she couldn't get out of bed, like literally could not move for weeks. Right. And I know that there is something called broken heart syndrome where people can die of a broken heart. Yes. I thought and, you know, that would be my fate too. Yeah. I, I tell everybody, Michelle, that I love all three of my kids dearly, mm-hmm. but there was something special about Gabriella from the moment she was born. And everybody who met her would say that there's just something special about her. And, like what her uh, energy, her, yeah. her life her, force. Or... Her energy. She just yes. had this, I don't know. I can't explain it. Like she was just such a special girl. I mean, she had a special personality, but it was just like, you could just feel love and you felt so calm when you were around her, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I tell everybody that, you know, she was, it was a one week before her 15th birthday when she passed away. I see. And even as a teenager, she would come in our room every night. She would hug me and kiss me goodnight, tell me she loved me. You know, my other teenagers are like, oh, yeah, go away, dad, go away. But right. that one, you know, we would go to the mall or go out. What She would hold my hand still. You know, she's just a very loving, special child. Yeah. That's amazing. And with my son as well, he had a life force that I didn't see in anyone else either. He had a wisdom for being a young person. He was uh, 27 when he passed, but I was convinced that he was going to change the world. Mm. And so that's interesting that you share that as well too. It's almost like, not that it's part of destiny, but that somehow it's all playing out. And the special love that got shared with you was going to be part of this destiny that was going to unfold at some point. Yeah. What I found was amazing and, and that it was easily easy for you uh, with all your friends, but the, the people that do come out of the woodwork to support you is really tremendous. There was so much love around this grief. Yeah. Uh, I was quite shocked by that. Yeah, me too. We, at her funeral um, that we had at the church, the, the, the priest, there was like almost 2000 people there. It was standing room only. And like the, the, the Monsignor came to us afterwards and he said, I, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen this many people for somebody's funeral ever. Amazing. And he said, that's a testament to your daughter and your family. And, you know, it, uh, it definitely was something to see. And, and I remember one thing that stood out to me was, you know, I, I stood up in front of everybody and talked about her and I didn't know how I was going to do it. Honestly, I know, I know that God that day stepped into my body because I remember the night before thinking, how am I going to do this? 
And I Mm -hmm. stood up there and my sister came up with me uh, for support. And I stood up there and I wrote a a beautiful speech and spoke about my daughter. And I remember one of my friends who I admire tremendously afterwards, he said, you know, you showed everybody today what it's like to be a real man. Wow. That meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that meant a lot to me. But, you know, what I, what I wanted get into is like, you know, everybody tells me, wow, you know, you're so strong and you're, you've your strength and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell everybody that, look, for the first few months, I, I just had to go on autopilot because my family needed me. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And about month three, I hit the wall and then it crashed over me like a tidal wave. Right. Right. It's like the, the, the freezing coming out of the tooth. Is, yeah. is how I related it. And then all of a sudden I started to feel it big time, but it was about three months for me as well too. Yeah. Before that, it felt to me like grace. It was like when it happened, it was, we we're talking about shock, but it, for me, it felt like grace. I, I felt enveloped in, in this special energy that was just going to keep me moving forward. I too did my son's eulogy and, and I just felt the presence of something that was giving me this ability to do that. I said the most beautiful speech I've ever said in my life. I had no idea how I could do it. He used to, when he was a kid, he'd pull the bobby pins out of my hair when I would wear my hair up because he always liked it down. And I'm standing there giving this speech and I could feel the bobby pins coming out of my hair. Wow. (laughs) I know. And I was standing there and I was telling people that that's what was happening because I could feel that happening. But, but then it's the gray starts to lift and then you have to walk yes. through the grief. It's you must it's, and it was your time is my time, but I think, yeah, they give you about well, three months. I think what's important to know about me is that, and I'll preframe this. And by the way, both my parents have given me permission to talk about any of this stuff, but I didn't have the greatest childhood. My dad was an alcoholic and um, he was a hard worker, provided a great life, but he was never available emotionally as a father. And <clears throat> it, I basically, as a kid growing up, just internalized everything, just pushed it down, put it away, didn't really deal with it, right? So now here I am faced with losing a child mm. and knowing that I can't do what I've done in the past right? I know that I have to do this, but I don't know how. And I didn't work, excuse me, for almost a year. You know, I was blessed that I had had a lot of success and I had been smart financially, so I didn't have to work. And, you know, I, uh, a fellow Canadian who was one of my business coaches had just been checking in on me. He lives up in BC and uh, he had just been checking on me. And I remember he called me around the one year anniversary. <clears throat> and because I had been, you know, I've always been physically fit in the gym. I stopped working out. I was drinking a lot, way too much. And um, just feeling sorry for myself. I really truly was feeling sorry for myself. Like, why me? Why did you do this to me, God? Um, I was angry. Sure. You know, and yeah. I, and you, you know, as well, part of the grief journey is anger, but I was just very mm-hmm. angry feeling mm-hmm. like a victim. <clears throat> and I had started working out again 
And I remember listening to a couple of podcasts and a couple of guys that have different guests on and one girl's telling her story about how she was, had an eating disorder and all these things. And I remember just saying to myself, you don't know what pain is. You don't know what it's like to be right. Because I was just so angry. Mm -hmm. And then my, my friend had called me and and he was like, look, man, he goes, you got a choice. You can either spend the rest of your life feeling sorry for yourself or you can get back on the horse and, and make a life that your daughter would be proud of. And in that moment, I was like, who the F are you to, you know, say that to me? You have no idea. Yeah. But then a few days later, I called him back and I was like, you're right. I promised my daughter I would honor her. I'm not honoring her. I'm not honoring her. I'm hiding in my house. I'm drinking. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing what I said I would do. And for me, that was really the beginning of my journey. And so we developed a morning routine. He was like, so tell me about your morning routine. And I was like, I don't have one. He's like, what time do you get up in the morning? I'm like, at the last possible second. Right. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I want to pause there and say that, you know, I had two other kids that are going through this. They'd lost their sister. Sure. And it's funny because Gabrielle is the middle child. And so she was best friends with both of them. I always tell everybody she was the glue, right? Because my youngest and my oldest are five years apart. So she was the glue. She was, you know, like two, two and a half years in between both of them. And it, you know, the first thing I, you know, I come from a family that that's always been like, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to get a job, you work your butt off, you make good money, you know, go, mm -hmm. go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make my kids go back to school a week after my daughter passed. Mm. And my, my son, thankfully, was, is, goes to an amazing Catholic private school. And the counselor called me and said, you need to come and get your son. He does not need to be here. And I remember she gave me something that I'll never forget. She said, look, right now school is just not that important. What's important is family. He needs you guys. And I was like, thank you, because here I am thinking, like, I just got to get my kids back to school. We got to get back to living. Yes. And um, she, she helped. I mean, I've told her so many times since, but she helped my family so much. She'll, I'll never be able to repay the debt to her, but it's been a long road there, you know, because, you know, the things that you think about with your kids are like, man, this is like, When your child dies, it's like a nuclear bomb is dropped on your life. I think mm -hmm. that's the only way I can explain it, right? Yeah. It destroys yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. And I tell everybody, it's, it's, there's a giant chasm in your heart, in your body, in your life that you have to somehow learn to get around, right? I've heard it said, Michelle, that when you lose a child, you don't ever rebuild the hole. You learn to live around the hole. Yes. I think agree? of a tree. I think of, uh, I, I'm a big yeah. gardener. And I think of trees that have taken a big hit from something, an mm. axe or something wounded it. And the tree just starts growing around the wound. Mm. And that's how I kind of relate it for me as well. The wound is still there, but I'm building my life around it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's amazing. So Anyway, I, will, I, I don't I want to kind of put a bow on this, but it was really hard to, you know, like my oldest daughter, thankfully the school let her finish her senior year because she, she, 
she's an amazing kid. I mean, she's a beyond smart child and she was in all AP classes and everybody was like, look, she's, she's got enough credits to graduate. Let's let her just finish the school year from home. Kind of like mm-hmm. all kids are doing now. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And then, you know, she went to graduation and all that stuff, but, um, <clears throat> she actually went to prom. She wasn't going to, but decided to, but you know, it's, um, it was hard. It was hard. And, and my son eventually did go back to school and finish the year. He had to, I had to hire him a tutor to come to the house and, you know, tutor him and keep him going. And you just try, you just try and figure out like what everybody needs. And then, you know, hours of, I don't, I, I would be interested to ask you, but you know, both my wife and I went to therapy. We did family counseling and I'm sure my wife will not mind that I say this, but our relationship took a hit. It was very hard on our marriage. Yes. A lot of a lot of divorces when a child mm. dies. They just yeah. can't manage. And I stuck it through with my significant guy. I've been with him 15 years. Uh, him and my son were at loggerheads sometimes. Mm. So in my great despair, I would turn to him and go, well, you know, you, you were fighting and that kind of thing. And, and he was so patient with me. And eventually... And it hasn't been that terribly long with, you know, the blessing of time and just being able to process it all. We're just found a new place for each other. And there's so much love there now. I would always say to people, just hang in there because this is a natural thing. You're angry and you're projecting and you're, you're so upset and that your significant other is right there. Mm. They're in your line of, you know, line of fire. And so but I just, we just kept hanging in there and he was so lovely and he just gave me all the space I needed. We were also fortunate that I didn't have to work it. I basically was curled up in a ball for the first few years anyways, but I did do things like I went to Sedona, Mm. right? And I talked to people, I talked to medium, I, I learned some things, but I went on this, uh, this, this journey for truth because I wanted to know what was going on. It was something him and I always discussed together. And somehow I just got on this, I have to know the truth about what's going on in the world. And that, because I started noticing that there was more to it when, when you feel these presence of the person mm-hmm. on the other side and all that, you know, there's way more going on than what you just see. So that's kind of where I went. And it was almost like he was leading me in certain directions. And I, I did ayahuasca. I did iboga. I did all these different things to try to help myself through it. And they definitely gave me different perspectives on it, but, but you have to just walk, walk the journey. You do. And it's different for everybody. And I, as I listen to you, I think of your kids, how this is going to shape the rest of their lives is going to be different from how it's shaping the rest of your life and your wife's life as well, too. It affects everybody just on that, on that heart level. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, which is, you know, I told everybody, look, first and foremost, I do it for my children. You know, people ask me, how do you do it? I do it for my kids because I want them to know that Losing their sister is horrible as it is. They can't let it define them for the rest of their lives. They can't let it ruin their lives because their sister wouldn't want that. Right. She That's would want so the good. best for them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the most profound thing is when you think of how the other person would want that for you. And they only want you to live again. Yeah. And that's, that, that was really the spark for me 
was I knew that my daughter would not want me to live in misery and agony for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. look, I tell everybody all the time, I still cry almost every day, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe not every day, but there are days when it, it just comes in waves, you know? I read a beautiful yeah. story once and I'm going to mess it up, but it, it talks about grief is like waves in the ocean and that mm. when it first happens, the waves are right on top of you, one after the other. Yeah. And they're 30 feet high. Yes. And as you get further down the road, the waves lessen and they're not as frequent, but they always come. They always come. That is beautiful. You didn't chop that up at all. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. And even when you think that I was always wanted people to think that I was okay and I go, oh, I'm doing much better and stuff, but I wasn't. And then I would, I would be thinking I'm doing okay. And then the wave would come. And it's really interesting as we did this podcast class together, I'm really wanting to put myself out in the world again, but especially with the resistance and the different things that it really took a a lot from us to, to grow and stretch. uh, I was still feeling these waves. They Mm. weren't as big, but they would, and they just come. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just sit there and I just feel my way through them now, but they still come. Um, but I, I, I can important. just sit now. They don't knock me over like they used to. Yeah. And I think that's important. And that's what I try and tell everybody. I mean, the birth of my podcast, my journey to hope was about my journey, what I experienced, the story of what happened, how it happened and how I was able to rise up from it. And what I tell people, the biggest lesson I learned is, is what you just said is you've got to walk into the darkness to get into mm-hmm. the light. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can't go around it. You have to go through it. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why people drink and they do other things to distract themselves. They get upset with their spouse or whatever, but they're distracting themselves from walking through it. I think it's so hard. It's so big. It's so scary. A lot of unknowns there too, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. My mom would tell me, she, she told me a story that, um, they were, they were in actually, uh, Sedona, Arizona, believe it or not. And they were playing golf, Uh heard my dad and they met an older couple and I don't know how they got on the subject, but they had lost a child. And my mom said, you know, th- this couple is in their late 70s. It had been 30 plus years since they lost their child. And they were still, when they started to talk about it, cried. And I said, yeah, mom, it's nothing. It's not something you ever get over. Do you find that uh, you're shocked by realizing that it had happened? Yeah, there's moments. There's moments that I... And I say this to my wife all the time, like there's moments where, and I had one last night, which is where the enormity of it comes back to you. And you say like, how the hell did this happen to us? Like, how is this our new reality? So I'll bring some light into this conversation real quick. My oldest daughter, she's amazing. So she came up with this idea, each one of us, so there's four of us, each one of us would make a type of food and a drink from a different country in the, around the world, right? Nice. Okay. And that you would dress up as that country. You would have some <laughs> trivia or some music, right? So my son did Hawaii. Right on. He, he made huli huli chicken and like, you know, um, he made us Mai Tais and, and him non-alcoholic Mai Tais. And um, I did Italy. My wife did Spain because her family is, is from Spain, South America, and um, my daughter to Japan, which was, she knocked it out of the park. I mean, she made all this homemade sushi and like had these Japanese dances and it was, it was a blast. That's awesome. It was so much fun. 
But in all of it, I had this moment where I was sitting there and, and I, I would, I'm sure you have the same thing. It's like you almost have an outer body experience where you see everything from a different view and you're like, man, and my daughter's name is Gabriella and we call her Gab. And I say, Gab should, should be here. Like, and it hits you. Mm -hmm. It hits you. That wave just smashes you in the face. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, I think the hardest thing, Michelle, as I'm thinking about it is sometimes you feel guilty about having fun, having laughter, you know, all those things again, because you feel like I don't, most of the days I don't feel like this, but I know I did for sure in the first year, you feel like, well, if I'm happy, that means I'm forgetting her. Right. Right. Would you agree yeah. with that? I absolutely would. Yes. And you don't want to be too happy. I've even had people look at me sideways when I seem to be too happy. Like, mm. what are you doing being happy? Like, as if that was a problem. And it's happened to me a couple of times, but uh, it's, <clears throat> it's like you get to rebuild your life on your terms, your new life, your new normal, but it is a rebuilding and that you did those really cool country things with your kids. Yeah. Uh, is a really neat way to start heading in a different direction with, with more light and happiness, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just everything, right? So every year we've been blessed to go to Hawaii uh, for summer vacation. And the year that she passed away, obviously we didn't go. And then last year we went uh -huh. back. It was hard, but it was good. It was just another yeah. part of the healing and grief process. And I remember one, one night my wife and I went and sat on the beach with a cocktail and watched the sunset and we just literally wept, like just cried, but it was, we needed to do it. It's just yes. part of the process. And you know, hmm. part of the, part of the gift that my daughter gave me is as, as a young child, I was, I would always talk about my feelings. And then as I became a young man and, and, and a man, I never spoke about my feelings. I tell everybody I wore a mask and I cared too much about what everybody else thought. And, and now what my daughter has given me is I found my way back into the vulnerable part of, of who I am. And I've been able to take off the mask and, you know, people say to me all the time, like, Oh, do you mind talking about it? No, I love talking about it because it keeps my daughter's memory alive. I want agreed. the world to know her story. Right. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. And one of the things that I loved about people was when they asked me about him. Not many people did and, and bless their hearts. It's all because they don't want you to feel sad. Yeah. But when someone asked me about him, uh, not even about me, about what things were like and how we did stuff. I loved it. I could talk all day about it. Yeah, me too. And, and um, you know, when, when you asked me to do this interview, I was, I was ecstatic to do it. And it's funny. I told my wife about it last night and she's like, Oh, that's going to be hard. And I said, yeah, there'll be moments where it's hard, but this is what I'm dedicated to doing. I want people. I want to spend the rest of my life helping people. And, and look, I hope, unfortunately you and I know this is not the case, but we both hope that no one else ever has to go through this. Unfortunately, yeah. that's not the case. Right. But even if it's not child loss, whatever it might be in your life, I, I want to show people that human beings are resilient. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to give up on life. There are ways to rise up. There are ways to get up and rebuild your life. 
And, you know, I always tell everybody, if I can help one person, then I know at the end of my life, I've, I've done what my mission is for the rest of my life. Like my whole life was focused on making money because I had to prove to the world that I could. And, you know, don't get me wrong, money, I still like money and money provides a lot and makes life a lot easier. But my, my, uh, excuse me, my life is not about making money now. It's about making a difference and helping other people. That's really what it's about. Uh, that's wonderful, Michael. It's, it's, that's a really big awakening. Yeah. And, and that you become more heart centered. And as you talk about that, I realize there's a lot of people that are grieving right now in the whole world mm. over this COVID situation and not even just people who have lost others, but I think they're grieving. And as we did, we are grieving about many things, but one of them is the loss of the possibilities of what life could have been like had our children lived. Mm. Right. God, that's... And, and now people are, grieving of the life they once had the freedom the ability to go and give somebody a hug and and their jobs and all that other stuff and i think there's a lot of grief going on and your comments are very timely about rebuilding your life yeah it's just different but but we're resilient and we can do it yeah and i think it's about fear is the biggest thing that holds all of us back and that's the resistance that you talked about but, you know, before I, I touch on that, I want to talk about the hardest thing, and you nailed it, when you lose a child. I remember at the hospital the day she passed away, I had to just, after we had some friends show up to the hospital, and so I had, you know, my parents don't live here. They live about three hours away by car, so they were driving up, but... So some people showed up and so I went outside and, and all I was thinking and I called a friend of mine and all I c could think was like all the things that my daughter missed out on. That's what was going through my head. Like she doesn't get to learn to drive. She doesn't get to go to prom. She doesn't get to graduate, go to college, get married, have kids. Like those are the things that rip your heart out. Yeah. You know? Those yeah, are the, the things. things that could have been. I always imagine my son pulling up in his car with little kids jumping out. And I don't yeah. have any other kids. So that's it for me. Mm. No grandkids. It's over. Mm. But what's interesting for me is I'm thinking, well, you know, when people want to put themselves out there, they're going, well, I have kids, so I've got to be careful. But yeah. I don't have that now. And mm. I feel like I can be much more courageous than I ever was before you know, well, especially with his inspiration. Yes. But yeah, I, I wouldn't wish that for anybody either because no. having other kids and grandkids and stuff can really pull you through a tough time, but yeah. that wasn't I'm to sorry. be my situation. But one other thing I'd like to discuss about grief, because grief is, grief is its own entity. It's, it's alive. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things you were suggesting, and I mentioned this at, uh, when we had his service as well in the eulogy is that when you're grieving, especially if you've had a bad childhood and I share that with you as well too, that other grief that we've shoved down there hitches a ride. And it's like, it's a big clearing for all your stuff, not yes. just the grief you're experiencing, but so there's a gift and blessings. And I want to talk about that. There's some blessings that have been left behind. Uh, a lot of people don't 
recognize it. They don't look for it. They have no idea that the person is trying to maybe contact them one way or the other. And I want to talk about that because I think there's some really great, beautiful things in that. So yeah. tell me, has your, your daughter has tried to communicate with you or there's some way that you know she's present with you? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, and I, I shared this in an episode on my podcast, which is, so I, one of the things that I discovered, and, and I'll pre-frame it like this. So my buddy helped me to create a morning routine, get up in the morning, meditate, journal, which journaling has helped me tremendously, you know, work out. And while you're working out, you can't listen to music. You can't watch movies on Netflix. It's got to be either, you know, a self-improvement book on Audible or, or another podcast that, you know, feeds your mind. Right. Okay. And so that, that changed my life tremendously. And because? I think it just gave me structure that I was missing. I needed structure. Ah, yes. And it gave me the structure that I needed. And I think that's really beneficial for healing is to put structure in your life. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really mm-hmm. big. Uh, yeah. Great tip. Yeah. So that structure helped me a lot, but so, and, and, you know, I'll tell you this is that for me, meditation, like I've, I I was raised, you know, like boys don't cry, boys are tough, you know, all this stuff. Right. So I looked at meditations like foo-foo. Yes. And I was like, oh, and then I'm a little ADD. So I was like, I'll never be able to sit still and meditate. And I found this woman, um, it's called the Ziva technique, Z-I-V-A. And what I loved about it is the first thing she says is like, look, you don't need any fancy fingers. You don't need any special music. Like it's all about just breathing and slowing everything down and being present, present in your mind. Okay. And I was like, okay, I could try this. And I mean, I, I've had some meditations, you know, that I feel like are... I hate to say the word out of body, but it's like, it's definitely on a different plane, a different level. And so what I'll share with you is there was, there was a moment where I was meditating and in my house facing my backyard, there's French doors and right next to it a window. And I meditate in this red leather chair that, that backs up to that window. And I was meditating and, and towards the end of my meditation, I was just in my mind saying, you know, God, let me feel your presence let me feel your presence in my life. Help guide me. Help me to serve you. Help me to serve others. And then I started talking to my daughter, you know, Gabriella, show me you're with me. You know, show me your presence. I need to feel your presence. And as, as I was finishing my meditation, I heard this large bang. And I didn't know what it was. And so I finished my meditation. I get up and go in the kitchen and pour myself a cup of coffee. And my wife had come down. And then as I walked by the sliding glass door, I see this 12 inch high bluebird laying dead on the ground in front of the window. And I was like, wow, that, I guess that's what it was. So anyway, long story short, I cleaned it up next morning. Cause I meditated right around the same time every day. Um, so I'm, I'm meditating and same thing, you know, God and Gabriella, let me feel your presence. And then I finish meditating. I open my eyes and I'm sitting there. My dog is, is laying by my lap and literally this bang shook the entire house. My dog jumped. It was so loud. And I thought, there's no way that's another bird. There's no way. So I just looked over my shoulder out the, out the, uh, the double doors, the French doors. And there was nothing there. I don't know what told me to stand up, but I stood up and I walk up to, right to the doors and I look to my right. And there's this hawk about three feet tall, just sitting there 
staring at me. And we locked, we locked eyes. And then with two flaps of his wings, he flew across my backyard to the tree in my neighbor's yard and stood there and looked at me for like 30 seconds and then flew away. And all of a sudden, I just, my whole body, I got chills in my whole body and I just started to cry. And I just cried really hard because in that moment, I knew two things, that God truly exists and that my daughter is with me. It's the best. And that's the best. That gave me a lot of strength that day. Yeah. You know, a lot of strength that day. And then as I shared with you before we went on, somebody gave us this beautiful tree to plant in our yard in honor of our daughter. Her favorite color is purple and has these beautiful purple flowers. And so we had had a party and my wife decorated it with these purple lights in the shape of a heart. And so she had turned them on and they're, it's battery powered. She had turned them on. And anyway, we had turned them off and we hadn't turned them on in a long time. And one night we look out the back window and the heart is lit up. And we were like, what the hell? And the next day it wasn't. And I was like, that's crazy. And nobody was in the backyard. Like we asked the, the other kids, like, did you turn it? No, we didn't know, you know, cause it's on the hill anyway. You'd have to walk up the hill to turn it on in our backyard. And then nothing for a long time. And then this year, just this winter, one day we look out in the back and boom, they're on again. Amazing. And we were just like, wow. And I, I just, I think it's just every once in a while a sign that my daughter says, hey guys, I'm with you. Like, I'm here. I am with you. Yeah. And, um, you know, as, as I said to you before we came on is that, uh, you know, once in a while, I have two dogs, Charlie and Cooper, and sometimes they just sit and stare at that tree. It's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. But they say animals can see angels and spirits and everything else. So. Yeah. You hear stories of dogs just barking at a wall. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know? But people really need to stop and think about what that might be. It's really cool with my son. He had a, a scent to him. Mm. Like not like a body odor, but he had a scent and I've never, ever smelled a scent on anybody like him. Right. And so after he passed, I would, he stayed, uh, he had a, the downstairs area and I would go down there and then suddenly I could smell him. Mm. So that's another one of those things that make you wonder if it's part of the destiny, right? Because it was so unusual that he had this, it was a great smell, but it was, it was him. And then I would uh, stay there and I would just cry. And it was usually in the doorway into his room. Mm. And then there'd be a time when I could smell it inside the room. So I could actually follow the scent of the room and tell exactly where he was because it would be the strongest there, you know? And I just, Love that. I just loved it. It gave me so much comfort. But over time, it became less and less. But what was really cool is I searched for it less and less mm. over time. And now I still definitely get inklings. He's really big on the hearts. Hearts show up in rocks and in, in crumbs on the, you know what I mean? Like they just show up. And I, I really think those are them as well, too. But our stories, I really want people to know that to watch and to open your heart and not to close down because there's so much more that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fear of the unknown is one of our biggest fears. Um, yeah. 
you know, and uh, so we, we don't know what's happened to them. And um, anyways, I, I just find things like that, these kind of stories, like yeah. encouraging. I think that as human beings, we crave structure, we strive, we, we, we crave order, structure and um, control. And when your child dies, you lose all of those things. Yeah. All you know, I've always been a guy that can fix things, right? Bring me in to fix it. I can fix it. And that was the hardest thing for me for the first year or two that I could, I can't fix this. You know, yeah. that's the, that's the hardest thing about death, whether it's your child, your friend, your spouse, whatever. Yeah. The hardest thing about death is it's, it's final. There's no, there's no coming back. There's no changing it. Like it's done. And that yeah. for me was the hardest thing to, to, to finally, you know, grasp. But what I want people to, to know for your listeners is that, look, there's hope. And I, I want to share this story quickly. So when I first started my, my podcast, I, I came up with the title, My Journey to Hope. And my wife was like, hope? There's no hope after the loss of a child. And I was like, yes, there is. There is. And I'm going to show you how there is. And, and I think there is hope. I know there's hope. I know that you can learn to live, to breathe, to fight. And I tell everybody, and they say, well, how? I say, it's one moment at a time. One step, one breath, one moment at a time. That's the only way you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I tell everybody, you know, look, no matter what it is you're going through, you can get through it. It's just you have to first and foremost make the decision. You've got to make the yes. decision like we yeah. talked about. Yeah. And then every day you get an opportunity to either move that decision forward or not. And it's up to you. Nobody's going to come in and save you. Nobody's going to rescue you. It's, no. it's got to be you. And, you know, um, my life would not be where it is right now had my daughter not given me this gift. And Michelle, I'll share this with you. She had given me a card on Father's Day a few years before she passed. And it said, all I want, my kids call me Poppy. It says, all I want for my Poppy is to work less and not be so stressed. Wow. And, and she gave me that gift. <laughs> you know, And that's how you've changed? That's part of it. I mean, look, I think the the she showed me that there's so much more to life than just striving for what society defines as success. Mm-hmm. And I still like nice things. I still like to make money, but I won't do it at all costs before. Before I did it at all costs, meaning like I would, hey, kids, sorry, I can't be there. I got to work. I guess I was that typical TV movie dad, right? Who was always mm-hmm. at work, always working. Work took precedence over everything. And losing my daughter showed me how precious and fragile life is. And, you know, so I journal every day. And the first thing I write in my journal is, Every day, the same. God, thank you for blessing me for another day. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to make a difference in my life and my family's life and hopefully in the world. And, you know, I say, please bless me and then please allow me to serve. And I think that maybe this pause that we're going through in the world mm-hmm. will, will give a lot of us, it's not going to be for everybody, but hopefully more of us, the opportunity to remember what's important and, and I want to share with you this story about redwood trees that grow in Northern California. I love the redwoods. I have to go there one day and just stand among them 
and hug yeah. some. But yes, so, please tell me. I, 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 I love the idea of it. I think this is the greatest story ever. And if we could embrace this as human beings. So it says, so the story is that there was a man giving a talk and he was asking, you know, like the redwoods grow in sandy soil on a hillside, high winds, fires, earthquakes. They really shouldn't survive. And so the question was to the audience was, do you guys know how they survive? And when I heard it, I was thinking, well, it must be like grapevines, right? The roots must go really deep into the soil. Yes. No. Their roots spread out. They're very shallow, but they spread out and they intertwine with one another. And when the storms come, they hold each other up. Oh, gosh. And what a metaphor that is for life, yeah. right? Yeah. We need to hold each other up when the storms come. We need to spread out our roots instead of being so focused on what can I get if we would just all spread out our roots. And I, I talked about it in an episode that I did, which is called Be the Spark. And all I was trying to say is like, most of us walk around wearing masks and most of us are just so afraid to be who we are. And if you just take off your mask and if it's the person at the grocery store, somebody you come in contact, you don't know what they're going through. You could be the spark for them. Right. I tell my coach, the guy who called me and got, I said, dude, you were the spark for me. You, you were the one who got me off the canvas off the off the floor and anyway i just i love that redwood story i think it's just so beautiful and um you know like i said i was raised to be a man's man you know tough and compete and all these things but what i realize is that a real man and this is what i teach my son a real man is in touch with his feelings a real man cries a real man shares his vulnerabilities because that takes way more strength than the other way around and so profound. I know, really love that. I'm just, you know, I think it's, I think the advice to anybody is just keep an open mind. And I apologize. My dogs are in the background barking a little bit, but keep an open mind and dedicate your life to learning. There's so much to be learned. Yes, there absolutely is. Um, I just want mm. to go back on that idea you said about the redwoods. Mm. I think that's what's happening in the world right now. Me too. As difficult as this has been, there's been so many blessings. And instead of people just being totally inward with their own lives, they've actually started, you know, reaching out for those other roots and they're helping each other out. And there, there's a heart opening going on that mm -hmm. I don't think was expected in here. And you talked about that as well, too, uh, um, in, uh, in your bio before we started talking about the vulnerability and the heart opening that this has given for you. And so many people are not vulnerable um, mm -mm. and their hearts are closed. Mm -hmm. And so these are really beautiful gifts that happen in these very unfortunate and tragic situations, but they are gifts nonetheless. Yeah. And what I wanted to ask you, Michael, before we go is what are you grateful for? Hmm. Wow. So much. Um, it's funny because I've had people say, wow, how can you even be grateful when you've suffered what you suffered? But I'm, yeah. I'm grateful first and foremost for, for God because my relationship with God has gotten so deep since my daughter's passed. And, you know, I'm grateful that I get a chance every day to wake up and share my story. I'm grateful for my wife, for my two children. Um, 
you know, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I, I write in my journal at the end of every day, you know, my gratitude and it gets as simple as things that I always took for granted. Like I say, I'm, I'm grateful for the shelter that my home provides. I'm grateful for the warm, clean bed that I have to sleep in every night. I'm grateful for running water, for electricity, for clean clothes, for food. But more importantly, I think than anything, and this is what we're all learning is first and foremost, I'm grateful for my health because without my health, I can't do any of this. That's right. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, um, I just hope one person at a time that I can show people that, you know, human beings are resilient and the key talking about, I'll leave you with this talking about, uh, tapping into your heart. If you haven't read it into the magic shop is the greatest book you will ever read. It's about a young boy who learned how to visualize, how to meditate, how to manifest. And then, but the most important thing of all of it is you've got to tap into your heart and do it from your heart. And I won't give away the book because I want you to read it. Okay. But there's a moment where he finally says, you know, I did everything but tap into my heart. And when I finally learned to do that part of it, everything changed. And I think that's the lesson for the world is, got to tap into your heart. The heart is where everything lies. You know? I believe that too. I absolutely believe that too. It's like it's got its own brain. It's, yes. it's right. And it's, mm. it's own source. I think our brain is actually more of a computer and a tool that our heart uses. <laughs> yes. But, but the heart is very big and a lot goes on there. Yeah. And they, they've done studies and I've, I've, I've been learning about this. They've done studies where they say that the heart is very much as, as much in control of the body as the brain. And sometimes the heart actually communicates the brain on what to do, how to act, how to feel. It's really just taking off your mask. And Scott, who's a, who's a friend we both made through the, through the program, is he talks about tapping back into that inner child. Like kids are so connected to their heart. Little right. kids, five, six, seven years old, they all lead from their heart. They do. Yeah. That's the magic. That's the magic in life. Yeah. That is actually quite magical, isn't it? Yeah. it? It's nice to see that there is still magic to be had. And sometimes it takes these very tragic situations to show that to us. Mm -hmm. And then by the grace of God, do we go forward and show that to other people as well too. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah. Uh, it, so. it, may, it gives meaning. Yeah, I agree. Life, and, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say is the last thing that I, I would want to leave your listeners with is that, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who lost his daughter and I decided to take the tragedy and turn it into power. It doesn't mean that I don't grieve for my daughter every day. And, and I know you feel this way. I would trade places with her in a second. Yeah, in a second. Any parent would. Yeah. Um, but... I want to live the rest of my life honoring her. I want the world to see her face. And I, my hope is that just one person at a time, I can give them an awakening without having to go through such a deep tragedy. I think that's a worthy goal. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah. Well, Michael, I appreciated talking to you so much today. I've learned lots from you and I'm sure that the world that, listens in is going to uh, get some insights that might be very helpful to them as well. 
Well, it's been my pleasure to be here and thank you for sharing your story with me. Thank you. I, it was, it, it was um, a place that I was a little unsure about as well because I haven't really talked about it, but uh, there was a really safe place created here today and uh, it felt good to my heart to sure. share what I did with you as well. Uh, Michael, I know you're helping a lot of people, a lot of grieving souls on your podcast. It's called My Journey to Hope, found on your Facebook page, where you will find this quote, together we will live, we will learn, and we will grow, and hopefully we will find some hope in every day. Michael, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Here at the Power of the Human Spirit podcast, we celebrate uplifting and human spirit and talking to courageous souls who do just that. A big thank you to my listeners for tuning into the show today. I'll be uploading another episode soon, so stay tuned. Have a great rest of your day.